Welcome to the Rent to Retirement Podcast, your resource for passive real estate investing and retirement strategies. If you're new to real estate or planning your financial future, you're in the right place. Join us at renttoretirement.com to find your path to financial freedom and an easy, carefree retirement. Enjoy the show. Hey, Rent to Retires, it's Adam Schrader here with another episode joined as usual by Zach Lemaster, the CEO and founder of Rent to Retirement. And today we are joined by uh, one of our creative financing experts here. This is Chris Prefontaine. He's founder and chairman of Smart Real Estate Coach. Chris, thanks for rejoining us. Thanks, guys. Awesome to hang out again. As you yeah. Know. So let's just remind everybody, creative financing, you know, people hear that word. Sometimes it can sound like just a buzzword. But for you and your community, what is creative financing? Sure. Uh, specifically buying property without using conventional bank loans, signing personal loans, taking out any loans whatsoever, or even raising money for that matter. It's, it's specifically um, owner financing, lease purchase, and subject to existing financing purchasing. None of those require banks or any of those things that I said. All right. And so whenever you, we also discussed in the past um, that in, during COVID it had gotten tougher to find deals. Um, then after, as we were coming out of it, it was getting a little easier. It's been a while since then. Things have kind of stabilized a little bit. When it comes to actually finding creative financing deals, where where is that market sitting right now? Yeah, it's actually back hot and heavy because people are, whenever there's chaos in the market, chaos, uncertainty, what are rates doing? I thought this was the same as 08. It's not feeling the same. Like It's just not clear. When it's not clear, sellers panic uh, and they, they look for they look back to us. Uh, it, by by and large, you're always going to find people. I can find people that are free and clear tomorrow. I can talk to sellers all the time. It just gets very easy when there's chaos or uncertainty, and that's what's going on right now. Let's. Uh, I know we've talked about this in the past, but let's talk a little bit about um, creative finance a little bit more specifically. I mean, being creative in, in business and real estate in, in general is, I think, something that everyone can do regardless of the niche that they're working in, right? Like right. just thinking outside of the box and being a problem solver. Right. In, in any capacity that comes up. I mean, that's something that's allowed us. I mean, we're creative investors in, in all things we do, just trying to find a solution where I would say the, the average person would not. And that gives right. us a competitive advantage. But specifically, when we're talking about creative finance, like this is a very specific niche of real estate, not just talking about being creative in general. So as Adam mentioned earlier, creative, like when we're defining creative finance, it really boils down to acquiring properties not using banks, as you, as you mentioned, and often having no or little down payment, but you're acquiring those through three main methods, that being um, you know, seller finance, subject to where you're taking over an existing loan. Seller finance is usually free and clear property or, or lease option, where you're leasing right. it with an anticipated future purchase. And I know that your business model, allow, you, know, you, you guys specifically have an exit strategy that has worked well for you, where you're actually placing a tenant buyer in the house that is putting a large down payment down, um, you know, they're better quality tenants and they're actually going to buy the house at a future higher value um, and likely will be a better tenant. So you, you kind of have both sides combined, but that that is like the specific business model with, when we talk about creative finance for, for you guys specifically. Um, and we'll get into a little bit more detail for anyone that's unaware of like, you know, how you're doing that um, more granular. And we're going to talk about some of the things you're offering to your community and some coaching you're, and seminars you're putting on coming up, which are 
I know super valuable. We attended the last the one last fall and that was a huge benefit um, and just met a lot of great people. But let, let's just take a step back and understand like why, why should someone look at creative finance as a method to acquire more properties? I'll give my two cents here on, you know, just this, to me, this is a, um, another tool in the toolbox. All of us really the, the end game for everybody is to create passive income, right? And residual income to have financial independence uh, you know, regardless of short-term goals of flipping houses or whatever the case is, acquiring more rentals, ultimately we're here to take control of our own financial independence through real estate and many other financial means. But ultimately it's like, how do you get there the most efficiently and effectively with buying general real estate, buying a turnkey rental, buying a long-term, whatever the case is, generally we're limited by the capital that we have to put down. Right. And so right. when you save up those down payments and use them to buy a rental property, yes, that you'll say the rents and the equity will grow and that you, your portfolio itself will help you buy more real estate. But like what else can you do to grow your portfolio quicker? You can bring in private money. You can do things like creative finance. So that's kind of my, my approach to creative finance. And we've used creative finance to acquire different properties um, that have been successful, but let's hear a little bit more about the why on why this is your main strategy, Chris. Yeah. So I'll go, I'll go two ends of this meaning, the investor mind and, and also why from a seller standpoint, right? To, to fit these together. Cause you said something real important, Zach, you said solutions or one of you guys said solutions. Um, with the why here, think about this as a foundational thought. The market is one constant in real estate. We kind of just all alluded to it. And that is, it's always changing and moving, right? I said chaos, but it's always changing. That's constant. And so instead of timing the market or geographically timing things, just know how to pivot inside of the constantly changing market. And that's that's how creative real estate comes into play. The second thing you talked about or somewhere in, in the mix, you talked about creating wealth, right? And creating a lifestyle. Well, when I came out of the crash and I said, okay, how am I gonna redo this business model? It was, one of the things was, hey, let's not get paid once anymore on a deal. Like that's transactional I, and that's a treadmill in my opinion. And no offense to all the other types of deals out there, right? I did them. But, but when you can create three paydays, and we'll talk about that later, on every deal that, that encompasses now money, great. That's what you're used to with real estate. Continuous monthly cash flow and then long-term money. Therein lies the three payday. And the beauty of that is you're creating wealth. You're creating a portfolio that spits those out continuously over two, three, five, ten years. You can actually get off the treadmill for six months if you want. Literally, you got a spreadsheet of 12 properties, let's say. You're brand new. And you can get off the treadmill and know exactly what your cash flow is within reason. That's the other why on the front of the investor side. Now, let me just mention the seller side and then I can peel back any of this. So I, I'm just a big believer in we get paid, all of us. I don't care if you own a restaurant, right? You get paid by how many people you can affect or help or, or, or drive solutions for. And so this niche, creative real estate, does that very, very well. Because we said earlier, we're just looking to create solutions for people or help sellers accomplish a goal they weren't accomplishing by going through the conventional means, right? Like my building, I've talked about it before on your show. He, the seller was a seller on a busy street that didn't want a conventional sale, right? So I, we created a solution for him that the conventional market couldn't create. And so it's a very, very big win-win. People that like helping people love creative real estate. So that was a long answer, but I hope I hit a couple of points that you guys wanted to hit in creative. Yeah. Absolutely. So one of the things as I was, you know, as I've been working in the, the turnkey space and talking with people, especially people who've listened to some of our podcasts with you and talked with some of your teams is 
um, that I want to dive into a little bit is the lease option because, you know, I've talked with some of our local teams and they say, yeah, I mean, we do, I do lease options with some of my properties and, you know, some of these properties might be good choices for lease options. And when you talk about your three paydays, when you want a deal to succeed, which obviously when you place a tenant buyer, you're hoping that they buy, um, what kind of down payment are you looking for percentage wise? Um, what kind of like, are you getting a premium rent? Um, what kind of, like, how do you base your appreciation that you're looking for on the end? Kind of how do you figure all those numbers out as you're looking to get started in this? And Chris, yeah, let's, take, let's take a step back, although actually for people that are <laughs> unfamiliar with what a lease option is, um, and I want to talk about each one of these main acquisition strategies, um, you know, a seller finance, a yeah. sub two, and we'll start with lease option um, since Adam brought it up. So, but can you start by defining like what that is for someone that is un unfamiliar and then go through yeah. Adam's questions? I'll do it like a transaction. So if I'm, if I'm talking to Adam, he's my seller, my, my lease purchase vehicle is going to structure a lease agreement with him that has a definitive honor before purchase date. That lease agreement, for those of listeners that might be new to it, is cool because it's, it's built in with a $10 deposit. You control this property for $10. And the, the, the gist of the lease purchase agreement that I have with Adam as the seller is what? It says that I'm going to, after I install my buyer who needs time to get financing, after I install that person, I'm going to start covering the mortgage payment on that, uh, the underlying mortgage payment on that house. Also, I'm going to take over all responsibility for maintenance and repairs, which I'm passing on to my buyer in the house. But as far as the seller is concerned, they're washing their hands from it. They don't have to worry about anything, including the debt. Uh, on or before the end of the date, the mortgage will get paid off. The balance of it, it'll be lower then, obviously. And any equity the seller had that we agreed upon up front. Some have equity and some have none. But if there's equity coming, it's coming at the end of the term. And let's just say, hypothetically, a 36-month term. The, the tenant buyer pays me the entire time. I'm covering the underlying mortgage payment plus some. The mortgage is going down. At the very end, I turn over payments that will take care of the mortgage and the equity left, again, if applicable. That's Let me just review that back to you quickly to make sure we, we covered all the points because this is getting a little granular, um, especially for someone that is, is new to these topics. But with the lease option, so one of the three acquisition strategies you guys focus on this is something where you you don't actually own the property this is the only one where you don't physically own it right away but right. you are controlling it you're, you're getting a signed lease with an anticipated future purchase date ten dollar down deposit right so i mean right. you're not you're not putting a huge down payment right so that's really your your down payment in this this is very minimal a uh, minimal way to control property right um and then you have a tenant buyer that you are sourcing and betting and we'll talk about finding those that you're you're putting into the property so you're, you're really, I mean, I, I kind of view this as like a Airbnb arbitrage type of, type of scenario, right? You're, you're having a, you have a lease where you're in control of the property, you're buying it in the future, but instead of actually you buying it, you're, you're having your tenant buyer take it over. And then you, you're paid multiple ways, right? You have like, if, you, if the mortgage is $300 and you're charging $500 of rent, that's, that's an area you can profit. Also, your tenant buyer is going to be putting a down payment down right? A non-refundable down payment. There's, there's right. another um, way to, to earn income. And then also the future, like your tenant buyer is obviously buying it in the, at a future date higher than you have the, have the option to, right? Right. right. Okay. And you Perfect. also get at the end when they buy it for that higher, as you referred, that whole entire time you're getting the principal pay down. So that accumulates on the back end as well. 
I love that. Yep. And are you paying in a lease option? Are you paying the mortgage directly to the the bank, or are you facilitating through the owner? No, we pay directly to the bank. We have, we now have a third party that handles all that, but we pay directly to the bank. And here's what I say to the owner: because some owners, not many, some will say, "Well, I want you to pay me," and I and I simply say, "Look, we control a lot of property, and I can't be worrying if you're going to make your mortgage payment." Exactly. Uh, because it yeah. puts my buyer at risk, and they actually respect that. It, it, again, for the few times it comes up. And why why would a seller do this? I mean, what what type of scenario makes sense for someone to sign up for a lease option? Um, you know, maybe over the past few years, they could just go sell the property on the on the MLS, right? And it's like, why why would they take the hassle of doing this and having a little bit of a delayed gratification on their their sale? Yeah, in no particular order, Zach. Uh, you have people that have maybe a second home came up a lot during COVID. Like, oh, okay, I'm done with that home, and it's starting to bleed them. They're paying two mortgage payments. It for whatever reason didn't sell conventionally. Now it could mean that they're just stuck on a price that didn't work conventionally, right? There's nothing wrong with the home. Uh, could be a functionality issue. So our buyers tend to be less picky, right? We're giving them a vehicle, the path to home ownership. So we tend to be dealing with buyers that are happy to get into a home and will overlook some some shortfalls. Uh, could be for um, reasons of I left my home. I have to live in my home two out of five years to get the IRS one-time uh, exclusion for, for capital gains. And the clock's ticking and they can't be out of that home more than three years or there's going to be a capital gains issue uh, to keep this simple. So sometimes we can we can uh, get that done quicker for them that way. There's, there's a myriad of things, divorce, death, all the things that happen with life events where people might get behind on payments. And now now they're stuck and they need someone to step in right away. So there's a myriad of things, that, but you, 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 you're providing a solution or everybody's perfect. There's no life event and they want more money out of it. And you get yeah, it. I think in this scenario, um, you know, what's, what's really applicable today is where someone is wanting to sell. You know, they they kind of miss this uh, this selling uh, extravaganza of the past three years yeah. where, yeah. you know, it's a complete seller's market and they were a little uh, sh- um, slow to the table here to bring their property to, to market. But they still right. expect or need a, like a higher price point. And they're not willing to take a huge loss. And so you can really meet their needs of saying, hey, I'm going to honor your price with my terms at this, you know, at this date, um, this is probably out of the three, this is probably my least favorite, um, because I think it'd be my, my preference. And you can speak to this, Chris, but my preference would be to actually own the property via a sub two, um, type of deal. If, if the owner is willing to it, open to it, but this, I, I know that this is like an easier entry point with the lease option where if you have a seller, that's maybe not willing to turn over title to you, and is a little bit more hesitant, you can approach them with the lease option and, and basically still accomplish the same things. Um, but let's, Adam, what, what should we hit on next? You want to do sub well, two or seller finance? Well, we, we didn't get into actually structuring it with the, with the tenant. If you, once you get that contract with it, what are you looking for from the actual tenant? Like are you looking for 5%, 10%, a full 20%, kind of what are you looking for there um, from them and kind of how are you structuring the increase like you just kind of pick a number or do you just base it off of historical appreciation in that area? So how, how do you, once you find the deal, make it work with the people you're looking to find to fill in to be that tenant? Yeah. So let's go through each, essentially each payday in my head. So the first one is the down payment, right? The down payment, the buyers get put through a series of videos that educate them on what they have to do because they have to be buyers, not a renter that wants to someday maybe perhaps get a house. So a buyer looks at that and says, okay, what do I need to get in? The videos say everything else being equal. I have a good job. I have a good income. Everything supports it. 
the videos will tell them that they got to have at least 3% to get in the door. We don't prefer that. We prefer them to be higher coming in, but they get, if everything else is great and we love them, we'll put them in for three. If over the course of the term, they can get themselves up to 10% by way of raises, retroactive pay, whatever they have going on, uh, tax refunds. And we'll schedule that with them. Why? Because we want to make sure they have at least 10. And if it's a jumbo, and we know they have to qualify in a few years at 20%, we got to get it up to 20%. We want to set them up to win at the end. So the deposit will be uh, sort of in line with that. Secondly, on the, on the monthly, ideally, we want our monthly to be slightly higher than what they will go get a mortgage for. Again, rates have, have been wonky, but we're going to look at the rates now and say, well, if they went and get a mortgage today, this would be their rate and this would be their payment. I want them to have incentive to go do that. And I'm not saying several hundred higher. I'm saying at or slightly higher just so they know they're going to better that when they go get a loan. That's as far as their monthly. Um, as far as price, uh, typically we're buying them right uh, now just from experience for, from doing this. I mean, I'm in my 32nd year, so I can usually grab a house and teach others to grab a house that the price is not you know, maxed out already. But we're always going to add them. I don't look at some formula and go, hey, we got this appreciation. So therefore, we got to go one point. You know, we don't get caught up in that. What we do is we typically will round up the price. If I'm grabbing something for 300,000, let's just say I'm probably going to be in the 329.9 range. You know, I'm always going to be a 20 or 30 grand margin there. Uh, and sometimes, again, that just brings it to market. And sometimes it brings it in a premium. Let me let me just review that again one more time with the numeric example because I just want to solidify these points for for someone listening who is first time hearing this or trying to understand it. What we were talking about is how to structure with your tenant buyer, and you can do multiple exit strategies with with all these. You can go and turn around and sell them, right? right. You can you can take them. You could move into one. Right. You could run your business out of a seller finance deal like you are, Chris. Yeah. So there's multiple exit strategies, but really your business strategy is finding a tenant buyer. And, right. and by doing that, you're able to essentially build in this, this three payday system where, uh, let's go through this on a, we'll just use sim simple numbers here. So $100,000 house, you get someone to sign up for whatever, seller finance, lease option, sub two. Um, they are, uh, so the, the first thing you do is you have the tenant buyer bringing the down payment. You require 3%, ideally you want them at that 10% range, right? So in this scenario, they would come with a non-refundable $10,000 deposit which, you know, if they walk away, then they, they sacrifice that, right? And that's kind Correct. of also a way for you to uh, mitigate your risk. Correct. Um, so the first one is the, the tenant buyer's down payment. Second is the difference in, in rent, um, mortgage payment versus rent. So if that $100,000 house has a $300 mortgage and you're charging $500 rent, which, which you check with kind of in line on if that's going to be roughly about the mortgage payment for the tenant buyer to set them up for success, yep. you get that, that delta, right? You get that difference of of income. And then also you buy in the house, you're buying the house for hundred K in three years, the tenant buyer is going to buy it for 120. And that's your, your third payday on the back end. Um, why, why would a, like, who are these tenant buyers and yeah. you know, why would they agree to something? Why wouldn't they just go out and get a house with a conventional mortgage? Yeah. This is so appropriate now, Zach, because I'll give you some metrics. We have some big volume mortgage brokers in our community who are doing this. And, and here are the stats right now for, uh, every applicant they get, they're able to qualify about 17%. And I've been saying for years, it's about 75 or 80% can't qualify. In today's state, some can be fixed quick and some two or three years. So the first why is they can't today qualify conventionally. And it could be credit, down payment, work history. Um, 
next metric that's sort of important to this question is since COVID, um, there's different stats on this, but Michael Dell talks about it in his new book, the massive increase in people saying, I'm leaving the W-2, I'm going on my own. I got cash. I'm ready to buy a house. They don't realize it because they're mostly corporate people. They go to the bank and the bank says, great, but you got you to be in business two years. We need what the bank calls seasoning. We got to see you at your new business for two years to prove income. Well, they got two years now that they go, oh, man, I can't buy. Well, if you got cash and you're qualified credit-wise, you just need time to get financing. Perfect tenant buyer. Perfect tenant buyer. And, that, and those are just, there's a massive increase in those right now. Entrepreneurship. And congrats to them. And we can help them get to home ownership and not wait till whatever the market does, right? We don't know what it's going to do in the next few years. But that's a massive one. Then all the life events, uh, death, divorce, et cetera, that might cause credit dings or might cause drop in pay temporarily, you know, anything like that that caused the life pivot. Yeah, the tenant buyers that I, I see most often are the ones that, you know, I don't do this a ton, but I mean, something that's very applicable would be someone that is uh, just like graduating college in a professional setting, but they're a 1099 employee, like an independent contractor, right. you know, so they don't have a W-2 that you need two years or they don't have the two years of 1099, but, and they don't right. have W-2. Um, or someone that switched, right? They just opened their own business. They switched exactly. even in the industry from W2 to 1099, which we are seeing a huge influx after COVID. Yeah. Um, and people are working from home or starting businesses and they make high income, Correct. but they just can't get a, a mortgage because of those, those stipulations. But they were, they are great. Like, great. Put them in a tenant buyer position for two years, let them build that, that history. So then they can turn around and get that mortgage in, in, you know, two years or, or whatever. So I like yeah, it. Those are the best. <clears throat> Uh, let's talk about sub two or seller finance. Adam, what is what is your flavor here? What's what's next appealing to you? We start with the uh, most let's go with sub two. Okay. So uh, break, sub break it down. Yeah, and then I'll combine it. If I forget, I'm telling you guys so we can bring you back to combine it with what we just talked about. So the sub two just means this for the new person. Sub two just means subject to subject to what subject to. I'm buying Adam's house and he has a loan in place. He might need financial relief right away or whatever his reasoning is. We can talk about that. But I'm going to buy the house. The, the title is going to transfer. His loan is going to stay in place. Now, if, if this is a new concept for you, think about if you ever bought a home, you had a settlement statement. And on that settlement statement, the, your bank was listed because they brought new money to the table. It was listed on there. That's how you got into the house. Instead, it just says subject to existing loan with the bank's name and the, a balance due. And so we buy that and that stays in place. So that means that Adam or the seller is going to be the guarantor on that loan still, not us. And so we control a whole bunch of real estate like that without ever signing on a loan. Now, that does lend itself more to the person who, as far as the motivation, more to the person who is financially in need of relief tomorrow. And they don't care how you get it done versus some of the other methods we talk, we'll talk about that they can be debt free. This is more going to solve a big problem fast for someone, or they're already someone, behind. So someone that is yeah behind on taxes, behind on their mortgage. They're yeah. going to potentially. This is where you really solve a solution because they can't come in and purchase a. You know they can't come in and uh, sell their house quickly or get caught up on. It's not an easy solution for them to get caught up on their payments. Otherwise, they right. would have done that. And you're solving that solution for them, um, but you're taking over the existing mortgage. And it's uh, you're actually owning the property. You are on title. And so that's why I personally like sub two and seller finance because you're on title. You can also take things like accelerated depreciation on those assets because you're right. actually on title um, and, and own them. 
Um, you know, but this is a this is a scenario where you know also I think what's very really very relevant about this sub two right now and a very attractive is if you're battling these high interest rates uh, with where lo loans are at. This is likely someone though that's had a mortgage for for a while and has a lower interest rate. Yeah, you can just take over, and all of a sudden, you know, you have now you have a lower interest rate, and they're probably further along in their amortization where they pay down principal, right? Um, and there's less interest. That's a huge benefit, you know, to find a sub two. Now you do have to work for these type of deals, um, but okay, so that that makes sense on the sub two. You're taking over the existing mortgage. You are actually same sort of thing, facilitating to pay the mortgage directly with the bank. And I think this is, you know, there's probably going to be some questions around that process we should talk about. But then you have the same exit strategy that we talked about. That's applicable in all three of these acquisition strategies is the, the, the disposition of finding your tenant buyer that we just talked about, correct? It is with one caveat that's positive on the sub two side. Uh, in addition to the benefits you mentioned, the benefit with sub two is I'm buying that. There's no clock ticking. There's no term with the seller. Therefore, when I have a tenant buyer in there, I can take that buyer, put a carrot in front of them for incentive and say, hey, if you're, this is what we do, if you're on time for a year and you can work your deposit over time up to 20%, so I know you're stronger and you're locked in there, I will then change your rent to own to a owner financing and keep you long-term. Now, I'm not only getting three paydays, I extended three paydays and I'm a bank. And so they get to stay in there until they refi me out and some of them won't. So that's, that's a really cool long-term strategy when you, when you have the sub two with no term that's kind of ticking that you have to get your buyer finance. And that, the other thing is I mentioned I'd come back to tying these. I think you alluded to it earlier, Zach. When you're in a, a lease, sometimes a seller won't be so comfortable day one with turning over title. But once you're in a lease purchase and you, you proved yourself for, say, a year, even sometimes eight months, they now trust you, respect you, and have a working relationship with you. And they're more apt to then, if you give incentive, turn the, the title, the deed over to you. So you can convert a lease to a sub two. So if you're dealing with somebody who's behind on payments, let's say they have a $200,000 house, they're you know $3,000 behind and getting worried and you come in, does that basically, you have to come in with that 3,000, catch them up on their mortgage payment, and then they um, work it off for you? Or kind of how does that part work? Um, Good question. A couple of things. So we we did one recently. I'll use a deal. We bought one for a high 300. I think it was like 360. They were $4,100 behind. Um, that was only two payments. So they weren't in like that third month or past that third month where, uh oh, we can do it now. So we had a little time. So while the attorneys were doing the paperwork, we put it right in the market and we got a de deposit from a buyer for $41,000. So we were able to do it from that. But sometimes, Adam, to your point, is it like a now issue? Yes. So you got to make a decision. If you're brand, brand new, do you have the cash or a credit card? If you're in the business and you have a few deals going, you can use your other paydays. You just have to make that decision. It becomes part of purchase price. It's not like they sort of work it off. It's part of the purchase price. So it's important for people to know, uh, like th this is, in my opinion, high level advanced real estate. It's, it's not, I like once you know it and understand it, it's not overly complicated. It's just about you know, each deal is unique though. And that's why it's important to have all these tools in your toolbox and know how to approach sellers, how to vet tenant buyers. Like there's like, you, you got to learn this stuff, right? This is an active right. way to acquire real estate. Um, but that's where it's important. I think most certainly have mentorship and coaching in this scenario from someone like you, Chris. So that's, I mean, let's talk about that. That is what your business does. We still got to cover seller finance, but just since we, we talked about it, I mean, that is what you do, right? You, you offer, coaching and uh, actual hands-on in the weeds 
type of training to assist people on how to find, how to negotiate, how to structure these deals long term is is that I mean I'll let you talk about your your business. Yeah, yeah. No, you nailed it. it, it so the word I use for that, Zach, is it's interactive coaching because it's one thing to coach or consult. It's another thing to say. Not only am I showing you how to do this, let's do it together. Let's lock arms. Do I have to call your seller? What do I have to do? I mean, today, like I have seller calls at my desk for students right now. So we do it with them. We record those. So they're learning together. And, and that's the fastest way, in my opinion, to, to learn anything. I don't care if you, again, any business, not just real estate, is that interactive, hands-on, do it with me. Um, I just think there's, there's the lack of that uh, in a lot of the education out there, not just in real estate, everywhere. So if people want to learn more, Adam, can you throw the link up there of um, it's, going yeah, to find it's, out uh, more about your program? It's renttoretirement.com slash S-R-E-C. That's renttoretirement.com slash S-R-E-C. Um, so I think, uh, Chris, next we're going to dive into the world of finding and setting up uh, an owner finance deal. Love to. Yeah. Um, so let's start with basics. Owner financing is going to be, I'll use my building for an example. Uh, to go back to that sub two example we use where I said new money comes to the table if you buy your own home conventionally. Uh, well, in owner financing, that same line when you buy the property is going to have the owner's name and the owner is going to become the bank. And you're just going to make payments to them monthly over time. Now, in our case, we look for, Zach alluded to this earlier, we look for free and clear properties. They have no debt on them. And 98, 99% of the deals we do structure monthly payments to the seller, like I just said, but those are principal payments, no interest. Um, and you can do that with very few exceptions uh, per the IRS code. There's no, uh, what they call imputed interest with some exceptions. So I make monthly payments. Think about this for four or five, 10 years. I don't care what the market does with its cycles and its uncertainty, as long as I have a long enough term, because every single month principal is coming down. That's huge. Right. We all know that the interest is front loaded. So this is someone that's got a free and clear property. Same sort of scenario. Why would a seller do this? Um, and, and I want to ask you about a deal I'm actually putting in a seller finance proposal on right now, awesome. which has complications. So something <laughs> we're we're trying to complications. Yeah. Well, it's it's, bad uh, there, sure. There's agents involved. So that's my questions for you, because, you know, this is not something that we. So we'll talk about that in a sec. But just to review, okay. close the gap on seller finance. Um, this is. This is where you have someone that has a free and clear property. Uh, maybe they weren't able to sell it. I mean, applicable, same applicable situation where they weren't able to sell it for the price that they wanted to, or they thought they were going to a few years ago or last year this time, and they still want their price. So you can give them their price on your terms or potentially someone that maybe they don't want the tax. Uh, you know, often people that have uh, the tax implications of, of selling it, right? You can, you can explain to them and actually educate them on the benefits of taking, uh, you know, a slower payment over time to meet their lifestyle needs. Maybe they're older in life and they just want some residual income. What are they going to do with that cash and pay 30% to the government right out of the gates? Maybe that's not just, you know, the most beneficial thing. So is that kind of like, what, why else would someone do a seller finance? No, you nailed it. Price. Uh, I, Hey, I, I'm free and clear. Presumably I don't need the money. I would have pulled it out. Right. So um, sure. Give me my price and I'll, and I'll give you the time. My, my building's a great example of someone who did what did it for the reason you said, Zach, which is they did it for two reasons. One was taxes. He just, he forgot to even put in the note that says how I'm going to pay him that there's a prepaid penalty. And he just every year would say, please don't pay it off. I don't want to be paid off. Like he just wanted to keep going. Second was estate planning. Um, I think he knew something was up. He ended up passing away. And I think he wanted his son and his wife to have an income stream and not have to run a building. 
And so that, so they still to this day get paid every month. Um, so that's the other reason, just estate planning. Yeah, price, estate planning, taxes. So let me pick your brain live on, on my deal here, Chris. <laughs> yeah, love it. One thing we've been acquiring recently, not, not our main buying strategy, but something that is interesting that we've done um, recently and been successful with is, is kind of like uh, some mountain short-term luxury rentals where we, you know, there's just not, not a lot of these unique type houses in the, in the market. And we can kind of come in with like a boutique management strategy and, and really be successful. Um, and we've built a, an exceptional team to do that with, but um, what, so I have a scenario here where I have a property and I have a broker that continually sends me deals, but that means there's always a broker involved. We're not, mm -hmm. we're not actively marketing um, and pursuing off market deals. Uh, I mm -hmm. just haven't done that yet. I imagine we, probably will uh, at some point in the future. But so far, we've just been taking them off the market. So they're listed on the MLS. There's a property now that is um, kind of this mountain cabin. It was used as a wedding venue previously. But anyways, it was, uh, it's listed probably, I don't know, 10% above market. Um, so it's, I don't know. We, I don't even know if it would necessarily appraise. It's been sitting on the market for about six months. I was very adamant about trying to speak to the sellers and look learn more about their situation, right? Because all this is just going now through our, through our brokers, their, their listing right. broker and our broker. And it's like, well, I need to understand the seller situation so I can reverse engineer the offer to meet their, right. to meet their, and ultimately it came down to a scenario where it's like, they weren't going to talk to us. It's a free and clear property. We know at least that they're selling it because they're older. Uh, their family is in Florida. They want to move down to Florida and be with their family. And, you know, humidity is better for the bones and blah, blah, blah. So yep. anyways, um, but they just declined our offer. I offered, I, I approached it with a two strategy where it was, and I've been successful in the, in the past where it was, I will buy your house with a conventional mortgage because I can do that, um, but it has to be at a lower price, right? Or I'm going to give you not exactly your price, but close to it on a seller finance type of deal. And they didn't even really respond and there's no response from the broker. I guess my question to you would be, and we're going to give it time and it's going to sit on the market forever and we're going to yeah. approach it. But when you have an agent involved, like, how, how do you, how do you approach those? Is it even possible? And, you know, do you need an agent that's really familiar with this? It's almost like I had to coach the, the brokers on, on how to present this type of deal, you know, and yeah. they were, you know, a little, a little baffled on doing a combined offer, you know, in this scenario, but I'd like your opinion on that. Yeah. I'll, I'll be nice to brokers. I used to be one just for disclosure. Um, it, it's tougher. I try to do what you said that you try to do. It sounds like, which is, I don't want to educate a broker and start over. I want to talk directly to the seller. Hang out with us on the phone if you want, broker or realtor, but I, I need to talk direct. Um, number one, number two, I do educate them that they can work out whatever they want with their seller for a um, for a commission. You know, it can be overtime, it can be higher, low, whatever, but that's not that's not up to me. That's usually their problems, Zach. They usually they they right away go, Well, how am I gonna get paid if there's no money down? So I don't know where you guys were with down payment, but I would probably put enough in there that pays the broker if you're going to put money down. I prefer not to, but if there's a broker involved, that's what he, that's what he or she is thinking, no matter what. Yeah, I, I propose that sells interest. Obviously, more strategic to have less down payment. And this this scenario came with a ten percent, which would have been way more than you know the broker's fees. And okay. um, it, it might have been a scenario where the the sellers needed the more you know the capital quicker. Uh, maybe not, but I, I don't know. I just wasn't. So yeah, it, it appears that that was a situation. You just need to talk to him directly. And I guess if, the, if the brokers aren't willing to participate, like even the seller's broker, they're just, you know, not having that and don't like that. Cause we do get a lot of pushback from agents sometimes on when yeah. we start to start to be creative. Like, yeah. what do you, 
what's your approach to try to, you know, navigate that? Is it, is it just a standstill at some point or? Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't have the magic pill for this one because it, it's it's what you said. They're going to, okay, then sit on the market. But I would like to get both brokers. It sounds like there's two brokers on this, seller and mm-hmm. I would like to get both of them on a, on a conference call. And then I would probably, if I can get principal pay down or at least for a time period, get only principal pay down, I would go a little bit uh, of a premium uh, on the price because you're going to eat it up quickly. You're going to eat up any premium with your principal pay down. So hypothetically, if you're paying, uh, what price is this property? Uh, three, two, three point two. Mm-hmm. So monthly on that in your own financing offer, uh, what, where are we at roughly? Uh, I believe it was uh, like six or 7,000. I can run my mortgage calculator, yeah. but it was a zero. Yeah. It was a zero interest to amortize 30 years and like a five year balloon is how we approached it. Okay, great. So, okay, let's use six grand. So you say to the hypothetically, I tell the students, look, two to six months ish you can increase that price. So two to six months worth of principal pay down. So if you added $18,000 to the price, which they're not getting, they're not even selling it. And, and you know, in three months that's worked off, right? And you get a, t- you get a five-year balloon. That's, that's some logic I would use because it's awfully hard for the seller to say no to that. Unless to your point, they need it tomorrow to go do something, which you need to find out. Say that one more time. Uh, and I, yeah. I'll not, I won't hog this anymore, Adam, but I'm just, you know, we got, it's hard to get Chris on the phone. So, you know, um, okay. So you would, you would do an escalation of, uh, price. payments. Is that what you're saying? I would increase the price by about what's worth about three to six monthly payments of principal. I see. Okay. Knowing that I'm going to eat that down in three to six months, but you just made the seller's day. You just gave me 18 more grand or whatever the numbers I use three months, but. I'm, but I'm probably going to hit them with a, a, a follow-up. You know, I'll just send an offer through the brokers in another uh, couple months at, at the purchase price. And if that still doesn't fly, then I'll, you know, I don't then, know. Then just sit. Uh, I, I love wait time. for it to fall off the market. Give it the 45 days or so for the exclusive to, to fall. And then you can contact the 100%. owners directly. Yeah. And hey, you tried. It's not like you, you're trying to go around. You tried. Yeah, no. And right now it's, you know, we have the advantage of time is on our side and, and right. with these type of properties, they're a little bit more unique, like not the buyer pool is probably smaller on them, you know, and there's, there's right. some work that needs to be done. So anyways, um, cool. Well, let's, let's get back on track here, Chris. I know that you have an upcoming event uh, that uh, we've, like I said, we were at the one in the fall and you got, you brought in some excellent speakers and just really like diving deep into creative finance. Um, and it's a huge, everyone that walked out of there that we talked to ourselves included just was a huge learning experience and, you know, made friends for life. So let's talk about, uh, let's talk about that event. Yeah, it's Wicked Smart Summit. It's March 29 through 31. And I'll say this, we, all three of us have been to events where you either have a great content event that's content rich, empowering, or you have an event that you get sold all day long. Uh, it's not the latter. It never is. It's all about content. It's all about absolutely empowering you with the three sort of pillars that we teach, which is skill set. Sure. We just talked a lot about skills. Like it takes some skill set, but also the mindset and the systems piece. And so we'll bring in people that we use every single day to do real estate so that you can use them too. Like nothing's nothing's held back. And then the, we have a keynote, uh, Jordan Montgomery was just amazing, amazing uh, internationally. You can check him online. And so you'll get to hang out with him at VIP day. And just, just to do that, it's worth coming. I don't care if you have to fly or drive. <laughs> Let's real quick, before we wrap this up, we talk a lot 
on our show about building your real estate team. And the team we talk about is the team whenever you're going in and buying um, properties. So if you're doing a creative financing deal, what kind of team members are you looking for um, in that situation? Are they, are they the same? Or are they a little bit different? Kind of what's, what team are you building? Okay, depends on the, the lifestyle, the size business, et cetera. But let me just talk generic. Always a virtual assistant for calling. I don't care if you're brand, brand new. If, if you said, what's the ideal picture? Or Chris, if you're going to go in that market tomorrow and start new, what would you do? I'd hire a virtual assistant to do my dials uh, to the outgoing, for outgoing calls. And I'd hire an executive assistant so I can do one thing, one thing only, talk to sellers. Um, and that, that's my immediate team. Down the road, I'm going to have a buyer specialist that like our son acts like that in our, in our family company. So that all the buyers go through one person. That's all they do. And the same with um, uh, the acquisitions. Um, when I first started way back when it was me, and then I trained my son-in-law, and then we've trained several people since to take that over. So that's if, again, if you're going beyond a dozen or so deals a year. And this could be done, you can do this in your local market, you, you can should. do it in really any market. I mean, the thing that still applies, obviously, like the contracts could could be in, in how you write them and negotiate them. We'll differ state to state, and it's important to have that. But I think one benefit of, um, you know, joining your organization is that you tap into basically an, an established team, right? And you guys are in leveraging that aspect as, as well as the coaching. So, um, and I know that we've had a lot of people from our community that have uh, signed up with your organization and is, is excited, it's exciting to see the deals they're doing. I, I know we talked to some of them and interviewed them on our show and uh, it's, it's cool to see kind of how they've, they've expedited their goals. We love all things real estate. And this, again, is just, to me, it's another tool in the toolbox to still do what you're doing, acquire real estate. There's nothing wrong with using conventional financing, putting a down, paying it down and buying a turnkey rental, um, right? But if you want right. to take a more active role to expedite your, your investing success, like this could be another tool in the toolbox um, that can then help you accomplish your, your goals quicker. But it is an active way to be involved in real estate. Just one final question for you, Chris. Not that you need to go through, because this could be an hour conversation, obviously. But <laughs> how are you finding, like, how are you finding sellers that are, you know, signing up for this, and and how are you finding the the tenant buyers? Yep. Uh, so base model for sale by owner, expired listings that don't sell in the market conventionally, and then for rent by owner, base model. You're someone that's more aggressive. You want more leads. You start getting ramped up. Then we're going to look at niched lists like free and clear that I just mentioned. Out of state free and clear is wonderful. Um, that's happening now. Tenant buyers, all automated. We have a third party now that does it, but the, the short answer is it's going to hit about 28 different portals, uh, rent links, Craigslist, et cetera, but there's, a, there's, there's more. There's almost 30. And we have a third party company that does that marketing and collects and pays mortgages and does all that. So that's pretty cool since last time we talked, probably. So they're, um, they're handling the mortgage or the, uh, the marketing for that. So are you basically uh, advertising, you know, um, like, tenant buyer seller finance type of deal like is that how you're advertising it or yeah rent to own uh with criteria and then a, a funnel of course that walks them through the education process so you don't get a bunch of renters calling you um and i did want to mention you you brought up sort of buying the turnkey i i want to say this real clear there's a whole bunch of people that don't want to be in the trenches active right they just don't uh, doctors attorneys etc so so the, the turnkey is like the best way to do that um, I just want to make sure that distinction, because you're going to, you're going to work this in the trenches, right? What we talked about, you're going to work. And so there's people that go, nah, no, thanks. I just want to do the turnkey. And that's why this relationship is so cool. 
And it's exciting. Yeah, we've we've all had the shiny object syndrome where it's like we get motivated <laughs> about something, and then we come to come to reality like, holy oh, shit, there's a lot it. of work, you know. Yeah. And uh, you know, yeah. it's like that's just too much. So, anyways, I mean, the main thing is just continually buy real estate one yeah. way or another. That's yeah. that's the goal here. Right on. Yep. Figure out what you can do, what you're willing to do, and take action with that. Definitely agree. So again, that link is renttoretirement.com slash S-R-E-C. Renttoretirement.com slash S-R-E-C. You can also see our inventory there on the site if you're looking for the, the turnkey, less active model. Uh, don't forget to leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you're utilizing. Take a screenshot, send that to podcasts at Rent to Retirement. We'll get you entered in a $500 raffle for a uh, closing cost credit and as well as sending you a $10 gift card for taking the time. And if you want the report Zach's talked about on the show before the top 20 markets to invest in, in 2023, email that same podcast at rent to retirement.com. And we will get that sent out to you as soon as possible. That's uh, top 20 markets to invest in, in 2023 to podcast at rent to retirement.com. Thanks so much for joining us today, Chris, really appreciate it. And to all our listeners, thanks for taking the time to educate yourself We'll talk to you on the next episode.